Well, folks, it's coming. Kids know it's coming too. You might be more excited than your parents are, but it is coming. It's not Christmas. Right? It's the end of the year. And when the end of the year comes, at least for me, time of reflection starts setting in. Well, 12 more months have gone by. How'd it go? What's coming for the future? Lord, you've been working on me with that thing for 12 months again, and well, it's, it's, it's time to take stock. This, if, if I were stock, would I be buying, holding, or selling? What, what, what's going to happen? I don't know how you feel at the end of the year. For me, introspection takes over. And it can be a little dark for December 31st, but I love January 1st. It's a new year. It's like turning a new page, putting out a new clean t-shirt out of your bin of laundry, a fresh start. Lord, all those things in the past are done. Here we go again. Love it. For me, New Year actually comes three times a year. That's one of the things I like about being in the education business. Every new semester is a new year. I get a new year in, in, in May when the summer starts. I get a new year again in September. I get a new year again in January. And it's a chance to reflect on the past and plan for the future. But at times, all that introspection and reflection brings with it some discouragement. Maybe the past year hasn't been so good. Maybe you've been working on that patience thing and it really hasn't gotten any better. In fact, you look back on the year and say, Man, this trial is just eating me up. And it hasn't gotten any better. Maybe you look forward to the future and you say, you know, it looks like I'm going to be enduring with this for another year. I thought, Lord, it was going to be done by now. It's not always true. It can become easy in those times to give up. Throw in the towel. You know, that relationship, that guy's been bugging me and I've been trying and trying. Forget it. For him, the love now goes down to zero. I'm not going to hate him. But I'm not really going to go out of my way to love him either. He's just done. That problem at church, you know what? We've been fighting with that thing for years. Enough. I don't care anymore. This problem at home, you know, I'm just not going to deal with it anymore. You want to do what you want to do? Just go do it. I don't care. And our endurance, our ability to endure shrivels up. And we give up. Because of the difficulties. I want to encourage you as we come to the end of the year and maybe you spend some time in reflection. You spend some time evaluating how the Lord's been working in your life. The trials you've undergone. The changes that you have seen or the ones you haven't seen. I want to encourage you from the Word this morning to take heart and to press on as you start a new year trusting the Lord to give you the strength to endure. We've read from Hebrews chapter 12 already this morning, and many, many sermons have been preached on the first two verses, even the third verse. I'd like to direct much of our attention to the middle half of that chapter. The author of Hebrews here is writing to encourage his readers. He's writing to encourage us, and he assumes that we will all face times of affliction. It's an assumption. And he assumes that people will be tempted to give up. Don't feel bad. You're in good company. Many, many of the Lord's people in the Bible have faced times of great discouragement. Some have even said things like, Lord, 
punch my ticket. I'm done. Kill me. Right? Think of Jonah. All these people get saved. He goes off to a hill and says, Lord, it's better that I die. I knew you were going to be so nice. Elijah running away from Jezebel down to Beersheba. Lord, I'm done. Take me out. Right? Some of these guys have been so discouraged, they just want to quit. You're not alone. Don't feel bad. Don't feel as if, oh, this is a special trial for me. Discouragement faces us all. The psalmist, over and over again, we hear him cry out, what? How long? David, super spiritual David, Paul in the New Testament, we despaired even of life. You're not alone. You stand among good company to be faced discouragement. And so the author of Hebrews writes to encourage his readers. We'll be challenged. We feel like we can't go on. He writes to help us endure. He wants to give us an attitude, help us develop an attitude that will trust Christ. Notice, he begins in verses 1 and 2 with exhorting his readers to get all the stuff that's making life harder, the sin issues that are making this harder, get them out of the way. I face this at school often. Students come, Mr. Sanchez, that's what they call me. Behind my back, I'm sure they call me many other things. Mr. Sanchez, you know, I just the Bible's just not doing it for me these days. I don't know what the story is. I have my devotions in the morning, and it sure will be nice to read the Word of God and love the Lord more. And the first thing I'm thinking is, okay, buddy, what are the other things that are eating your lunch? Tell me, when do you go to bed at night? So, what are you listening to? That girlfriend you have, let's talk about her. Those things, those movies you watch, let's talk about those things. And it's no surprise that I find out, oh, well, I've got this going on. Or, yeah, I know my, friend, my, my parents told me to break up with her too, but, oh man, I just, it's really hard. And all these other things are affecting their spiritual life. Is it a surprise? Of course not. It's no different for all of you. You may not be in school anymore, but you've got habits and issues and sin issues in life that make it harder to endure. The exhortation at the beginning is, give those things up. Lay aside, verse 1, every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance. You can't run. Here's Al Angel running today, right? I bet he's not wearing a sweatshirt that's all full of rainwater now. He took that off miles back. He doesn't want to uh, deal with that encumbrance. Verse 2, he exhorts us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Now, why is Jesus an example for us of endurance? I don't know if people wear those little bracelets anymore. What would Jesus do? I don't know. That's an interesting question. I'm more interested in the question, what did Jesus do? Because when I see the answer to that question, I find an example for me of what I should do. And the author of Hebrews gives us some examples. He endured the cross. He despised the, he despised the shame. Now he's sitting down at the right hand of God. But notice verse 3. He goes back in Jesus' life and to help you endure says, notice... Consider him who endured hostility by sinners against himself. Why? Why consider Jesus' life as a life faced with hostility? There's a reason for that. So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The point of looking at Jesus is not just to see the cross, but to see his whole life and see how much hostility he endured so that we will in turn take courage, take heart, 
and endure. The author of Hebrews is, he's a bit cheeky in verse 4, right? You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And it's easy to think, well, of course, yeah, we haven't been crucified. And that's exactly what he's trying to say. You think you've got it bad? Show me the blood. Show me, really, how hard has it been for you. And you're, you're really working hard, huh? Where's the blood? One of the things I have enjoyed about winters in Dubuque, somebody asked, do you have snow yet? The snow guys said that the snow piles are now nine feet high around the school, and they're too high for the front loaders to put it up over the over the piles. They've got to figure out what to do, maybe cart it off campus or something. But one of the benefits is outdoor hockey. Can you believe it? I took up hockey last year. It's a lot of fun. We play with students, and it's a rough game. And you've got to call your own fouls. And you listen, you can't just call a foul because the guy got knocked down going for the puck. You wait till you see the blood. No blood, no foul. Come on, buddy, you can take it. And I hear that in, in the apostle writing here. I hear that. Listen, you think you're really fighting. You think you've been enduring for so long. Consider Christ. His whole ministry, he was facing hostility. He wasn't but two years old, and already the king was out to kill him. Family had to flee to Egypt, come back, move to another place. His whole ministry, as he starts his ministry, right? The Pharisees are on him. Finally, the Romans get him. He's framed and hung on a cross. Jesus resisted and resisted and resisted. Luke twenty-two forty-four. we see Jesus in the garden. This is what it means to resist. He's tempted. Not go to that cross. And he's praying, Lord, oh man, there's plan B. I'd love to hear it right now. Sure would be nice. But I'm resolved to follow plan A. And I'm going to do your will no matter what. And we read, being in agony, he prayed very fervently. And the sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. That's a picture of somebody resisting. Me, the guy that I don't like, the guy that I'm impatient with, I see him walking down the hall. Lord, please help me. All right, let's give it to him. That's my resisting right there. I resist, Lord, that was so hard. I really resisted. No, there's no going back to the office and praying. I know I'm going to see this student today, Lord. I need two hours just to get ready to see this guy. I hear him walking down the hall and I lock my door and drop the blinds, turn the light off. That is not resisting, folks, but it feels like I'm resisting. I'm conning myself into thinking I've really tried hard. Look at Jesus here. The author of Hebrews wrote in chapter 5, who in the days of his flesh offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Even in the garden, Jesus was in God's school, learning, as it were, what it means to endure and to trust God for strength. So, encouragement number one is considered Jesus himself. You don't have it as bad as he did, so come on. Look to him as an example and endure. I know as I say these things, but I have not suffered very much. The worst I think I've suffered is watching my child have a seizure and have to run her down to Baylor Hospital. 
I think that's about as bad as it. I, nobody's died in my close family yet. Nothing horrible has happened to me. I've, I've grown up in prosperity. But Christ didn't. And He's really suffered. These guys in the, in the, in the, in the, in the first centuries of the church, these guys really suffered. So if you look at me and say, oh, you haven't suffered that much, Sanchez, that's fine. That's fine. Hear what the scriptures say about people who have really suffered. Point number two. God's training is a sign that He loves you. Your Savior suffered. And now this suffering that you're undergoing is a sign that God is training you. Endure for the sake of the training. Notice verse 5. You have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons and daughters. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Don't faint when you are reproved by Him. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. And He scourges every son whom He receives. It is for discipline or training that you endure. God deals with you as sons. What son is there whom His Father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which you have all become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. God's training is a sign that you're a son. This word discipline often conjures up images of punishment. All right, time out. For two years, tired of you talking like that. Give me the keys. Or I'm putting a letter in your file, your boss says, right? You get transferred to another department, that letter's going with you from now on. The next time we have this conversation, it's going to be the last conversation. I'll be firing you. Don't do that anymore. But that's not the only way that word is used in the Scriptures. More often it's used of the concept of training. Somebody teaching someone how to do something. It may be easy, it may be hard. Usually it involves hard work. I walked onto the swim team in college and didn't last, I lasted about a year. And then played water polo instead because it was a club sport. No coach. Right? When you're on a real team, the coach is standing there. I still remember learning how to hold my breath all the way down the pool and not breathe once. And it sends me in there. I came up, didn't do it. And he's screaming and yelling, I told you don't do that. He's not punishing me. He's training me because you lose precious time if your technique is bad in the pool. It's the same way with the hard things that befall us. These things are not random. The shocking logic of this is that the difficulties in your life, the challenges that discourage you, mean you're in his classroom. You're being taught because you're a treasured son and daughter. Don't give up learning your lessons. Those of you who are parents, do this to your kids. You're taking Spanish lessons. I don't care what you say. You're going to do this. Why? Because your name's Sanchez for Pete's sake. you got to at least speak something. You're going to do it. You, you have to do this. That's just the way it is. The Jewish people send their kids to Jewish to Hebrew school. You're taking Spanish lessons. That's just it. Now, you may want to learn guitar, but you've got to do this hard thing. You're not doing well in math. We're doing extra work in math. My mother was great. But during the summer, she pulled out that math workbook and made me do math. And my friends were out there playing. Now I feel really loved. But back then, it was not fun. Children, you've been on the receiving end of this, right? Your parents make you practice. They make you do these things. Why? Because they love you. It's part of the school. 
Is it hard? Yes, it's hard. Of course it is. But it's important. It shows that they love you when they make you do it. Is it any different for the Lord? I don't want you to be impatient anymore. I want to work this out of you. You're going to patience classes. And I'm bringing that student into your life so that you can learn this. You are greedy with your money. And I'm going to have to pry it out of your sticky little fingers so that you learn this. It may take you a long time, but you're going to learn this. That's discipline. You know, you don't pay much attention to the people around you. Well, you need to go through some trials yourself. Or you don't know how to accept grace. Okay, now you can't do a lot of things for yourself. and Other people are going to have to help you. And you're going to have to humble yourself and accept it. It's his school. It's training. It's a customized curriculum just for you. Don't give up. And don't look around either. Don't look at him and say, I want his curriculum. I, she's got an, I like that one. Can I have some of that? No, no, no. It's specific for you. And that's a sign of God's love. The writer here is quoting Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. And the writer of Proverbs, I think, is going back even further to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 8. As soon as we get there, you'll recognize this as a familiar passage. But it's shocking at the way God demonstrates his love for his people. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Remember, Deuteronomy is written to Israel as they're about to cross into the land. Which generation is this? Do you remember? First or second? Second generation, right? The first ones are all with the fishes or in the desert. No fishes, right? They're all dead. And it's the second generation that's about to go in. Forty years they've been wandering around out there. And Deuteronomy is an exhortation. Come on, guys. Let's do it right this time. Verse 1, Deuteronomy chapter 8. All the commandments that I am commanding you today... You shall be careful to do, so that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God led you in the wilderness these 40 years. Oh Lord, I thought that was punishment. Right? That was, that was judgment. That he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. Whether you would keep his commandments or not. Wait a second, so it seems like there's more than just punishment here. There's a bit of a plan. He humbled you. He let you be hungry. Well, that's not nice. And he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these forty years. Thus you shall know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you, training you, just as a man disciplines his son. But the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food without scarcity, in which you will not lack anything, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. Listen, Israel's about to get into a real dangerous situation. 
God's bringing them to a good land. And the danger that we read about in the rest of that chapter is they're going to get into that good land, they're going to eat well, they're going to get fat, and they're going to say to themselves, we're good. Wow, look at all that we've made for ourselves. We have provided for ourselves in abundance. And they will not trust the Lord. And so he takes 40 years to teach them. You thought one semester was bad. Parents, you think paying for college for four years is bad. You, you guys think being in college for four years is bad. 40-year curriculum for one purpose, to teach you to trust me. Right? The manna comes down every day. You don't go out and collect for four days in a row. Every day. Is it going to be there tomorrow? I hope so. Every day. He let them be hungry on purpose. Have you ever done that to your kids? You know what? You need to learn that there are people starving in other parts of the world. You're going to starve this week. Just so that you can learn to appreciate your mother's good cooking. You will never turn your nose up at anything again. Because you're going to be hungry this week. Right? Child Protective Services gets called. Now you can have date night because you have no kids. Okay. <clears throat> he let them be hungry on purpose. He humbled you, let you be hungry and fed you with manna so that you would know that man does not live by bread alone. The writer of Proverbs quotes from Deuteronomy 8. The writer of Hebrews quotes from Proverbs. He's trying to say, here's an example of God's love. Yes, it involves nice things. Notice the land is going to be wonderful. But it also involves the hard training. Remember, the first generation wasn't being trained. They died. They, their tickets were over. It's the younger generation, some of whom were just 20 years old. Now they're about to cross into that land, and they're 60. Did they learn their lesson? That's what all that time was for. To teach them. God was training them as a son because he loves them. Third, God's training is for your own good. These challenges are divinely intended for your own benefit. Notice verse 9. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and lived? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share in his holiness. Now, I'm a father, and you read a verse like this, and it, it just kills me. Because it's true. I discipline my children as it seems good to me. And at the end of the year, I put my hand, my head in my hands, and I say, well, how did I do disciplining my kids? Was it more often disciplines of outburst and anger? You're embarrassing me. Put it out. Or was it out of genuine concern for their good? I think I recommended from this pulpit the book uh, Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. And that's a book that just, again, sticks me on the other side. Because so often than not, my discipline is about me and not about them. And the writer of Hebrews reminds us, God is not like your father. He really does things for your own good. You kids have sat there and said, Dad's doing this, but I know Mom doesn't know he's doing this. 
And if she did, oh, he's doing, oh, I don't like this. I'm going to do it because I have to. But dad's not perfect. And dads, they'll tell you that when you're 20, when they're 20. I told my dad too, and you know, that's what happens. God's not like that. He's a perfect father. He disciplines for your own benefit. And look at what the benefit is. So that we may share His holiness. Is there a better benefit than that? Okay, so my kid learned Spanish because I made him. He learns to play the guitar because I made him. He can swim because I made him. That's well and good. If he doesn't get holiness on top of that, what's the point? God, your Father, is making it hard on you. He's got you in His school. He sets Jesus up as an example of somebody who's really endured. And now He gives you the gold. It's for holiness that He does this. We pay lip service to that. Yeah, Lord, I really want to be holy. Manana. Right? Tomorrow. I'd I'd love to be holy, Lord, but not now. Or, I'd love to be holy, but I don't want to do what it's going to take to get there. The Lord didn't ask your opinion on writing the curriculum. He set it out before you, and you're living it. The question is, will you submit to it, or will you resist? Will you endure, or will you resist? Right? We, I, I'm racked with self-doubt as I discipline my children. But not him. He knows precisely what you need and how to deliver it so that you get holiness. Look to Jesus. Endure. It's for your own good. You're a son. Notice the value of that benefit. Holiness. Right Later the author of Hebrews is going to say, Pursue holiness, which out with, without which no one will see the Lord. God's going to help you get it if you submit to his curriculum. Finally, he gives advance warning. This is going to be hard. Verse 11. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Don't be surprised that it's hard, the author of Hebrews says. It's discipline. What did you think it was going to be? Occasionally, my children will merit Severe discipline. And usually the response is, Ow, that hurt! And I want to look at him and say, What did you think was going to happen? (laughs) Did you think it was going to be easy? I need you to change your mind about this. You're not going to the party and you're going to cry a lot. Because you need to learn. You can't do that. The Lord treats us the same way. He knows that at the first sign of rebuke, we say, Okay, okay, I learned my lesson. Okay, okay, I got it, I got it. And that isn't true. We're saying that to get him off our back. We sponge our conscience. And really, the attitude is still there. And so he has to bring more and more and more. This issue of impatience is eating my lunch. This is what's, uh, this is what I'm reflecting about at the end of the year. I, there are times I can't even bear my kids waking me up at night when I sit there just gritting my teeth. Oh, please be quiet. The other night, I, I don't know why I was thinking about this, but it occurred to me, I was, I was meditating on this passage, and I was listening to NPR and the talk about the people tortured in Abu Ghraib in Iraq. And I think the Lord brought this thought into my mind that helped me a lot. You know, it's a baby crying in a room. They could be pulling my teeth out. right? They could be waterboarding me. 
I could be a Christian in a, another part of the country and they're burning my house down. That's real endurance. Me? It's a baby that's crying. For Pete's sake, come on. It's going to be hard. In this country, it's difficult to find those kind of situations, but they're there. They're there right in this church, right? Personality issues, home life, sick kids, ill spouses, recalcitrant spouses, hard-hearted friends, right? Elders who don't get everything right, congregation who doesn't get everything right. It's all right there. The question is, will we endure these difficult situations? I think the key is to understand God has, has His hand over all of these events in our lives. None of these things happen apart from His plan, apart from His consent. He sends them to you as part of the training. The question is, how will you respond? Will you endure or will you give up? Will you quit? Or will you trust that what he brings your way is brought to make you holy? If you think it's going to be easy, you're going to have a hard time. Because you're going to ascribe to God all kinds of motives that he doesn't have. Lord, it's, the Christian life is supposed to be easy, right? I'm coming to you for help and you're supposed to fix it tomorrow. I have an uncle. He was delivered, he was saved, delivered from drug abuse overnight. That doesn't happen all the time. Most of those habits die really hard. And the Lord works with people over time. Expect it to be difficult. But what makes it endurable is that we have a Father who loves us. Who knows us. Who wants us to be holy. And doesn't just stand there and say, be holy but He works to make us holy. God takes the long view. And thankfully, He has given us encouragement to help sustain us during the long, slow process of our spiritual education. As the year closes, I would encourage you to be introspective. Look back at your life. Look back at the year. What's been hard? Is there a way you can see this? Back up. Is there a way you've been looking at this trial that is not helpful? Have you come to the understanding that this is from the Lord and He has something to teach you? This difficult thing that's in your life, this difficult person, this difficult health issue, this situation... The Lord wants you to learn something there. Are you learning? Don't expect it to go away in a month. Are you learning? Can you look at that problem, get a new view of Christ and how He endured, and open the new year committed to trust the love of your Heavenly Father, committed to follow the example of Christ in endurance to the point of shedding your blood if you have to? To not give up. Take some time this year as the year closes. Be introspective and pray that the Lord would give you a new perspective on what He's doing. I teach a large freshman class, and freshmen are interesting birds. 
um, at least the ones I run into. They like me to remind them that I love them when I give them hard things to do. And they find it helpful. You're not out to get, we feel like you're not out to get us. I didn't do that my first year. I came in full guns blazing. And at the end, it was like, he hates us. No, I don't hate you. I just didn't tell them. You know, when something hard is coming, they like to know I'm on your side. You can do it. This is for your own good. You're gonna, you're gonna bless me when you're done. And it helps them get through. The Lord does that to us. We're his children. He's not out to get us. Remember Jesus. He endured longer than you have. When you get ready to quit, just look at your hands. Where's the blood? God loves you. A sign of his love is his training. He wants to train you. Third, he's a perfect father. He's doing it for your own good. Don't compare him to the father that you had. That father's imperfect. He's a perfect father who loves you and knows exactly what you need. <laughs> we were at the Novakovich's last night. It was great. And John grabs a can of the whipped cream, the spray whipped cream, and he has no plate and he has no food and nowhere to go. So he's walking around with this can, and you, Steve sees him out of the corner of his eye, went across the room. He says, I know exactly what he's going to do. John, put that down. John says, what? It's for, you know, <laughs> he busted him. He knew exactly what he was going to do. God knows us. He knows exactly what we're going to do and exactly what we need. Take comfort in that. He wants you to be holy. And as the new year opens, get ready. It's going to be hard work. But the Lord has given us his spirit and the enablement to help us trust Him. Would you pray with me that the new year would be a year full of endurance? We would learn to love the Lord and to trust Him and trust His plan for us. Father, we thank You that You love us. Forgive us for looking at the trials that come into our life and ascribing to You bad motives. We see these things and we... we Our teeth start to grind and we say, why are you doing this to me? What's wrong? When in fact, you're training us, conforming us to your image. We thank you for the example of Christ who endured hostility his whole ministry, even to the cross. We pray that that life would become more precious to us as we consider it not just from the perspective of this baby born in a manger or even just the work on the cross, but from the sense that he endured He endured. He did not quit. I pray as we all take time this year to consider the way you're working in our lives, that your spirit would change the way we think, which is another way of saying that we would repent of bad attitudes towards these difficulties, that we would be convinced of your love for us and of the value and great worth of holiness. Help us, we pray. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.